0: mean, we were so used to hearing the growth at all costs type of attitude or mindset from startups. For the past decade, that's always been the startup mindset where you're really focused on the long-term goal and whatever the cost it is to get there, you'll, you'll take it on. That is not the mindset going into 2023. I'm Daphne Howland, I'm Danny James, and we're reporters at Retail Dive. This is our podcast where we look into the biggest retail trends shaping the industry. We
1: talk about what traditional retailers are up to, what's happening in the DTC space, and
0: everything in between. Plus, we'll be talking to some industry experts along the way. This is The Backroom.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Backroom. Today, I am joined by someone who is now our regular co-host, Danny James. You've heard her on a previous episode of the podcast. And for those of you who might be missing Ben Unglesby, his byline, and his participation in this podcast, he has moved on to our sibling publication, Supply Chain Dive, where he's covering procurement and some other issues over there. Danny is going to be joining me as a regular co-host, and one of her major beats is the DTC world, and that is something that we are now offering a daily email five days a week for those of you who are interested in DTC trends, brand launches, all the kinds of funding that's going on in that space. You can sign up for a daily email that just highlights those DTC stories. So, Danny, really nice to have you here and from here on out.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. And I'm excited to be back on and continue joining the podcast from here on out. Got big shoes to fill with Ben leaving, but he's not too far away. so Exactly.
1: Um, So speaking of DTC, we're going to kind of focus on that because a lot is going on right now. The space is a little bit volatile lately. You just wrapped up a pretty big piece, kind of stepping back and taking a big look at what's going on. What are some of the major trends in the DTC world right now?
0: Yeah, I think heading into 2023, the, the volatility is just continuing. Um, you know, in 2022, there was a lot going on with the market and inflation that, that was having a big impact in the DTC world. And unfortunately, some of those trends are just continuing into this year. And I think two of the biggest things that we can look at right now across the industry, the sector of the retail industry, is a sort of balancing act with brick and mortar stores, as well as a fight for some of the limited funding from VCs right now.
1: This is really interesting because I feel like the original vision and concept behind a direct-to-consumer brand was that they could cut out a lot of the traditional retail and that was this big disruption. You didn't have to run stores. You didn't have to do wholesale. Now, all of a sudden, it seems like both those things are really valuable, helpful paths to exactly what you're saying, the kind of new focus on profitability. What's going on with physical stores and DTC these days?
0: Yeah, so I think kind of to your point during the the really like onset of the pandemic we saw e-commerce explode right and that really helped a lot of small brands you know be founded and just grow in general by focusing on e-commerce so some of those brands really ignored the in-store aspect of things and we also saw some brands use that growth to push for store growth more store locations as people started to go back to physical retail so t- two sides of the coin there where some brands are really investing heavily the past few years in store growth as restrictions waned off and then the other side is some brands really only focus on d2c interactions through their websites i think right now there's kind of a balancing act going on or a rebalancing of that where We're seeing some big D2C brands cut back on stores starting in January this month. Um, One of those could be Forma Brands. They own the very famous kind of influencer-run beauty company called Morphe. They just closed all of their U.S. stores this month right before filing for bankruptcy. And they had at least 20 stores when we, we checked as they filed. And on the other side is Everlane, the sustainable clothing brand. You know They have cut back about 3% of their in-store roles as part of layoffs earlier this month. So those are examples where brands are looking to cut costs with in-store retail. On the other hand, we're seeing brands focus on opening very niche experience-driven locations in very key markets. So a good example of that would be Wilson Sporting Goods, um, famous for kind of their tennis balls and stuff like that. They've been really focused on their D2C channels the past couple of years. They've just opened two new stores in the Chicago area. Both of them have really unique experiences in them, such as a full putting green, a pickleball court, laser personalizations for rackets and stuff. So some brands are still opening new stores this year. Glossier is going to be opening some more as the year continues. But they're very focused in specific areas and have a very like niche approach to them with retail.
1: It almost sounds like cutting stores and cutting staff in stores, which it's never a good sign, I don't think, when you're cutting staff in stores. I think part of the expectation is that people will be able to get help pretty easily in a store. But it just seems like that focus on profit, it's expensive to run a store. You've got leases and wages and all kinds of inventory management issues, and it, it could be a sign. I mean, I don't know what sense you got. Is it a sign of, you know, cost cutting? It's a cost focus, or is it strategic?
0: Yeah, I think that's a good question. And and to, to hone in on the Everlane example, the CEO of Everlane, um, Andrea O'Donnell, she sent a memo to employees when they got laid off earlier this month. And she very specifically said that the layoffs, which included store associates, um, the tough decision was intended to set us up f- to improve profitability this year in 2023. So, in that sense, I do I do think some of it was really part of the goal to to get closer to profitability. So, I do think cost cutting is part of it, and some of them are just restrategizing in general, maybe. They haven't gotten as much traffic as they expected to at stores that they opened over the past few years. And yeah, there's a few factors at play, I think.
1: Interesting. So profits, I I feel like this was not what we used to hear when we'd get press releases from DTC brands. We heard about customer acquisition and revenue growth and maybe new launches of different you know, products that, that, you know, in addition to whatever their core idea was, what's going on, you know, how new is this and and what, what do you think is going on?
0: Yeah, it's funny you say that because I, I mentioned this in the trends piece and basically, I mean, we were so used to hearing the growth at all costs type of attitude or mindset from startups for the past decade. That's always been the startup mindset where you're really focused on the long-term goal and whatever the cost it is to get there, you'll you'll take it on. That is not the mindset going into 2023. And I think a lot of VC funds are really eager to hear from potential brands that they want to invest in. You know, what is the actual growth plan and, and path to profitability here? And a lot of existing brands are, are needing to explain this more to current investors as well. Everlane, the CEO, once again, with that example, she had also sent in her memo, the expectation to be profitable shifted overnight. So, those are some pretty stark words um, compared to what we've been used to in the startup mindset. And I think some D2C brands might be looking at how they can diversify their portfolio going forward. Some D2C brands, you know, I think about some of the mattress companies, they have very specific products that can only really be bought every 10 years or you know not as often as you want. So perhaps some D2cs are looking to get closer to profitability by kind of creating more variation in their product assortment if that makes any sense.
1: This is a super interesting space. I really only cover it tangentially, Danny, you you're pretty focused on it. At NRF we uh, a few of us went to the big show last week. There was definitely a buzz about the value of physical stores. So it sounds like that calculus is going to be ongoing for the foreseeable future. Whether to run stores, how many to run, and where. I guess that's kind of a classic retail question. But for brands that probably started off thinking that they wouldn't ever run a store, it might be especially complicated. Another question that I have is. When I've covered this just recently for different stories just looking at the state of the disruption by the DTC world there's some question out there about how successful some of these companies can be given their premise really one source told me you know if you have something that's easily copied you're not necessarily going to be able to succeed When you're also being pressured to come up with, you know, cough up actual earnings, where your revenue has to actually more than cover your costs. Is there any sense, are you seeing a lot of diversification of assortment?
0: Yeah, I think over the past few years, we've seen a few brands really try to diversify what they offer to the public, kind of to the point before mattresses is a good example where we're seeing more D2C brands, you know, integrate bed sheets with their, you know, selling next to their mattresses or sleeping gummies and night lights. So yeah, I definitely think there is a lot of competition going on right now. And especially for brands where their products are not that repurchasable easily, they need to stand out from the crowd. And we're seeing D2Cs just in general, even those who have more repeated purchase options, so like makeup brands, Glossier is a good example, they're expanding as well and trying to differentiate themselves. An example of that would be they just launched a new deodorant. That's like a new product category for them entirely. And they they really hit home on the marketing with it in terms of clean ingredients and non-irritating ingredients. So yeah, the competition is there and brands are looking to expand upon their current offerings for sure.
1: Another thing that has me really curious about not just DTC brands actually, but e-commerce companies in general or the e-commerce operations of even a traditional retailer is some of the challenges that are unique to online sales. Things like returns, which are have just got to be, I mean, we know that they are- it's sort of a rampant problem it, it it goes with buying online. Some people literally buy three of one thing, maybe different colors, different sizes, knowing that they're only going to keep the one that that they want. Are there any ideas around how to deal with returns?
0: It's a good question and there's in the trends piece I also talk about how kind of d might be interested in looking at the returns aspect more than they have. And I think the difficulty there is, you're right, returns are super expensive, but Wow, like do consumers expect free returns um, as a service and they expect for it to be easy. So the real question is, you know, instead of taking away the free return option, you know, how can you avoid so many returns um, and that's very specific to e-commerce, right? Cuz you can't try things on especially with clothing and beauty, etc. like you can't in store. But something that you know, if D2Cs have enough money to invest in, something to look at is really the virtual try-on aspect of some stuff, you know, Walmart, big, big retailer, big box retailer, they've implemented. A- I've
1: heard of them. I've heard of Walmart.
0: <laughs> yeah. Not sure if you're familiar, but Walmart has put out um, a really, I would say different virtual try on technology for their women's apparel specifically right now. And they're going to be expanding that to new categories and it uses a really unique version of tech to, Allow people to better visualize shirts, blouses, dresses, et cetera, without needing to leave their house. So, I think as that technology gets better and hopefully cheaper for brands to take on, that's a way to avoid some of the returns associated with apparel and perhaps beauty. Uh, Sephora and I think JCPenney, they all have virtual try on tech for makeup as well. And I think Victoria's Secret has a bra try on technology that you can use at home. So that could even help with some of the returns associated with fit.
1: The beauty, when when you're talking about color, which can be so important when it comes to beauty products, that stuff is really fun. Macy's and Nordstrom has that too. And it's nice to be able to just see how that lipstick's going to look. When it comes to apparel though, as you know, the other thing that we heard at NRF, I don't think the two letters A and I together, AI. Apparently, we are not going to be able to escape AI in twenty twenty three. That's that definitely seems to be what everyone is investing in, or at least talking about. But when it comes to apparel, fit is a huge aspect. But I don't know. There's there's also just feel and how it feels you know, a cloth just between your fingers, but also on your body, how it moves when you turn around.
0: Yeah. I mean, consumers are picky, right? I mean, I'm a consumer and I'm, I'm very specific about things like jeans and even from personal experience using some virtual try on tech, it's just not the same as, especially that feel you get when you try something on that virtually just can't be replicated. And most of the tech out there aside from Walmart's version, is just not that user friendly and it doesn't give you the realistic image of trying something on. So yeah, I, I don't know if it's really there yet, but um, as things progress, there's the potential that it could be more applicable for, for audiences. But people like to try a lot of stuff on and they like to see different color options. And even with makeup, I mean, there's still the issue of color changes and different lights. And right now, a lot of the AR technology doesn't allow for that capability and that variation. It's
1: a really interesting space. And mm-hmm. it's it's fascinating how the internet you know, has just kind of taken over our lives. But the real world is not, you just can't escape it. We're right back to realizing once again how important a store can be. And it, not just for all the things we're talking about, seeing what colors really look like, seeing, you know, finding out what the, what something, how something moves or what the texture is, but just ease. I feel like there's a, there's a big preference upon the part of many consumers to make a return in a store. They're happy to buy online, but they want to go to the store to make the return. So another reason to run a store, I guess.
0: Yeah. I mean, Shopify, you know, last year during one of their earnings calls, they emphasized they thought the rise of e-commerce during the pandemic was going to last a lot longer, be more permanent. But um, yeah, stores just keep prevailing in some shape or form. So...
1: Well, we're going to be talking in future episodes about what that really means. Because even if retailers are realizing how important stores are to their brands, to their operations, the question of where to run a store is changing. And it's not it's not just which cities or which areas of the country, which is also a changing factor. It seems like the Southwest and maybe even the Southeast are really booming in population. And so I think a lot of stores are opening in those places, but the mall is not necessarily the destination or the ideal destination for a store anymore. So, and even when it is, malls malls themselves are changing. So these are the kinds of things that we're going to explore because I think 2023, despite all the dampers that there are on retail, Inflation is continuing and households are still under pressure. And I think there are a lot of big question marks about how retailers are going to do this year. It's still such a dynamic, swiftly changing industry.
0: I think 2023 isn't looking pretty per se, but retailers have been dealing with challenges for the last several years, right? Some pretty big ones. So I think a lot of C's and the mass retailers as well are just thinking about how to stay ahead of them. This isn't new, you know, challenges have existed for a while now and some will prevail more than others, but but not all hope is lost. And, you know, even on the funding aspect, funding is down for sure for venture-backed companies, but it's not non-existent. There's a plethora of brands who have announced funding rounds completed the last few months. Some are getting acquired by larger companies. So, so there's still hope in the game. Just got to see who makes it through to the other side.
1: It's all about figuring out what are the retail fundamentals, you know, of our age. It's sort of like tech is still very promising and helpful, but then there are also some very traditional, solid, proven things like stores and helpful store staff. So bringing it back to DTC, Danny, let's end with just maybe a look ahead. What are you working on? What kind of stories do you have simmering right now?
0: Yeah, I think there's a few really interesting things in the the pipeline that'll expand on the trend story that came out. And one of those stories is specifically about VC funding and what that looks like right now for D2C brands. I'm speaking with some analysts uh, who know the data really well, and I'm speaking with a couple of pretty, pretty prominent VC funders to see what their perspective is on the D2C world. And after that, I'll have a story kind of touching on the FDA cosmetic regulations. There's some big changes for the industry this year that I think will have a big impact on smaller beauty brands. And a lot of those brands are the ones getting funding right now. So lots to look forward to in that regard.
1: Can't wait to read those. And Danny, thanks so much for joining me today. Not just today, but from here on out.
0: Yeah, excited to keep this going.
1: This episode of The Backroom was produced and edited by Caroline Jansen. Please be sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.